0: We at The Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We are just two
1: guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering.
0: Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our
1: experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better.
0: Okay, we have a very special guest in studio, Aubrey. Welcome, Aubrey.
2: Hey, you guys. I'm happy to be here.
0: Yeah, we're happy to have you here. We met we met Aubrey through our friends at uh, Recovering Addict, LT and the team. And it's been cool. I got you know when I met her, I asked if I could get her story. I heard her story, and I thought we got to get her in studio. And she was. Willing to come in and grace us with her presence, and so thank you for being here. You got an amazing story, which we are going to feature in this episode. Uh, But before we do, we thought we'd talk a little bit about some stuff,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit about some stuff. Like we usually do. What are we going to talk about, Cameron? Well, usually I tell everybody how I'm feeling. (laughs) We don't care. Today, I'm feeling (laughs) a little itchy in certain places, mainly crevices, Um, but... uh, People, people don't care. Either. People don't okay. care. <laughs> okay. all right. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I want to know, um, you know, one of the things that we got from this topic, it was very interesting because, Aubrey, I don't think you you mind saying that you had somewhat of a sheltered upbringing. Is mm-hmm. that fair?
3: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. yeah.
1: So we, uh, we, we kind of batted around a couple of things and, and talked a little bit about, you know, like what it would be like if we could go back in time. So, and, and and tell the sheltered version of ourselves like a couple of things, right? Yeah. So it kind like, of came up with a cool topic. Yeah, what is it? Which is what? <laughs> what I tell the younger me. What I would tell the younger me. Yeah. I think it's an interesting concept. Uh, what
0: would I tell the younger
1: me? Yeah, what would you tell the younger you, I t- Willie? I told you before.
0: Oh. Have more sex.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> before it's too late. Before it's too late.
0: (laughs) No, I wish I had more confidence, man. I didn't didn't believe in myself at all, you know, and we've talked about, we've talked about the validation through sexual behavior so many times and, you know, that was part of it for me. Like I thought I needed to be something other than I was and and I think, uh, you know, the reason that we, we have this topic Is because as Aubrey told her story we realized that there's a lot of things that we didn't know going into our addiction that we know now right Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. like one of those things is like you know having the confidence to be myself and listen to my inner voice when I knew something was wrong or knew something that was gonna turn out badly Mm -hmm. you know that would have been great to be able to do that and to have a higher version of myself that I could trust telling me this good stuff because I didn't fucking trust anybody that was telling me anything. Right. So Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think it's interesting too, um, just to to think about like where is and I think that it was pretty clear as we were discussing this earlier, like where is uh the line between like things that I, I should have known but didn't know or things I just wish I, I would have known, right? Mm-hmm. Like in your story you talked a little bit about being naive, but Whose fault was it that you were naive or that you were sheltered, right? Anybody's?
3: Um, I don't think it was anyone's really fault. Um, I wouldn't blame it on anyone. Um, I think partially I could take the blame for that because I didn't educate myself at all. Um, I didn't educate myself on anything that I got myself into prior to getting into it. You know, when I got into using alcohol or even marijuana or eventually meth, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I didn't know at all, and I hadn't, I mean, I'd learned what I learned in school, but that was it, that, that was the extent of my education. I didn't know anything further than that. I didn't know where I was going to end up. I didn't know sure. what side effects it was going to have on me. I didn't, I just didn't know. And so partially, I think I take majority of the blame for that.
1: Yeah, I mean, right. Like, I mean, in the end, like, we can really only like blame ourselves like the people around us did the best they could with the information that they had in, in most cases but um so it's fair to say then that you didn't really know anybody that was mm-hmm. like in addiction or yeah. anything like that right Like, yeah. you had no exposure to that
3: Mm-mm. yeah i didn't have any exposure to it there's no one in my family that um is an addict or an alcoholic or anything like that so i didn't have any experience of knowing know what could happen to somebody like that what could happen to somebody that had experience with you with using drugs or drinking alcohol or whatever I didn't I didn't have any experience with that whatsoever so
1: yeah and so I want to mention just right off the bat because I think that um, it's worth mentioning at least or or something that um, I'm sure people may have questions about but a lot of this was because of your upbringing in the religion that's prominent in this area which is Um, the Church of Latter-day Saints, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's correct. Um, And so because of that, um, you weren't really exposed to a lot of this stuff. And we kind of got into this conversation um, previously about how like, where, huh?
0: We? Yeah, like you
1: and I and and Aubrey as well. Like, um, you know, how much responsibility do your parents have in teaching you about this kind of stuff? And it's like, well, I dare say that, your parents didn't also have a lot of exposure to this, mm-hmm. right? Like because yeah. really like within that community and that organization and um again that's very prominent in this area, like there's not any reason to know any of that. Yeah, stuff, yeah, that's you know?
3: correct. You know, in the church that's something that we practice is the word of wisdom, which is they don't drink, they don't use drugs, they don't even drink coffee. So that's something that like has never been apparent in my life. It's never been something that we've I guess needed to talk about um outside of the
1: word outside of yeah
3: yeah so
1: yeah it's very I mean it's very interesting to think about uh I mean the coffee thing still gets me (laughs) and and I I love that part about your story too where it's like you know like I mean I grew up and I didn't do anything like alcohol drugs or coffee and it's like coffee gets lumped right in there with (laughs) yeah drugs and alcohol it's like crazy but um no, so I think uh, I think that when we're when we're talking about this, like I think it's important to note that we're not blaming anybody, mm-hmm. right? Like um, we're simply like saying like along our journey into recovery, we learn so much about addiction, um, the nuts and bolts that is um, the disease, if you want to call it that, or is addiction, and. Um, for some people, it's their first exposure to anything like that. Yeah. And so I think that it really is like, like from a, from a curiosity standpoint, it's like, what, what would we tell ourselves if we could tell ourselves anything back then about addiction, about alcoholism, about recovery? Like, what are some of the things we, we wish we could go back and tell a younger Cameron in my case, or younger Aubrey in your case, do you have anything that comes to mind?
3: I think the first thing that comes to mind, um, prior to my addiction at all, but what led to me questioning, you know, what I wanted to do with my life or what I was doing, you know, led me to this lost state, was the people that I was spending my time with, you know, had an influence on me that I guess I didn't understand until now, that the people that you spend your time with influence you. And they can make you feel ways that you know you wouldn't normally feel if they're not if they're not great people they're not going to make you feel great. And I was spending time with people at the time that you know weren't good for me. They weren't good for my men- my mental health. They weren't good for the decisions I was making. Um, there was the reason that I was feeling lost and didn't know what I was doing in that time of my life was because of the people that I was around. And so I think that's. Prior to my addiction, that's the biggest thing that I would say, you know, telling myself is the people who you spend your time with matter. You know, the people that I spend my time with now compared to then are people who are driven and motivated and, you know, they want to do better, they want to be better, whereas the people then were, they didn't know where they were going in life, you know? And so that's the biggest thing I think prior to my addiction is what I would tell myself. And.
1: Just uh, just so we're clear like when you say that they weren't a good influence like what were they what were they doing like in w- in which way were they just not a, a good influence?
3: so I had a boyfriend at the time prior to my addiction that he made me feel like I wasn't good enough he was very disrespectful to me he was very mentally and emotionally abusive um, he didn't let me have an opinion of my own he made me feel like my worth was not enough um, which then I started to feel anxious and depressed and which then led to i didn't know what i wanted for myself in life and so that then led to he was making decisions of he drank alcohol and because i was spending so much time with him i started to drink alcohol he started to pull me from my family which was very against what i believed and valued you know i believe and value my family a ton and it was i had a big pick between him or my family and so Mm -hmm. that was a decision that you know started to weigh on me and made me feel shameful and guilty that I was being pulled from them when in reality I I wanted to be with them I wanted to be with him too but I wanted to be with them and so you know that's one thing that he started to influence me to believe that my family wasn't as important as I believe they are um and then he was one that he started to get me into drinking um And he led me to believe that, you know, the church isn't where I wanted to be or what I wanted to be doing. And so I started to fall away from the church. And he also, in his life as well, didn't know exactly where he was going in his career or what he wanted to do with life. And so I kind of took that as that's how I am as well. You know, I don't really really know what I wanna do either. And so I started just to, in a weird sort of way, become him. I started to adopt his habits and his, how he went through life and how the same beliefs that he had, I started to have myself. And I think I started to have those things subconsciously. Um, It wasn't something that I like decided one day I want to be exactly like him. You know, it was just, I started to become him because of how much time I was spending with him. So that was. I think the biggest way that he started to influence me was just subconsciously. Yeah,
1: well, and I think, too, in those situations, like what I have found is that we tend to emulate those people around us, especially if they're um, somewhat abusive or put us down. We tend to emulate them to avoid confrontation, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I'm any other way other than how he is, I'm going to hear about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that 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 might be a big piece of what happens. Yeah makes it uncomfortable yeah nobody, nobody likes being uncomfortable
3: yeah
1: Fuck no, that. nobody likes being uncomfortable no i and i and i think that i i love hearing that because what it kind of what i hear in, in what you're talking about is that you kind of had this low self-worth
4: mm-hmm. right
1: um and i think that that's one of the biggest things for me that i wish i could you know go back like you said i mean even though you were joking in a way
0: well i mean yes and no
1: yeah in a way right (laughs) um but that's something that you wish you could go back and tell yourself is is dude yeah you're you're doing way better
4: than you think you Mm -hmm. are like yeah
1: like
0: if if i if i could instill in you your ability even even as a teenager you know because when when i was a kid i had the ability to influence i was i was great at influencing people and And making poor decisions as well as, as, uh, being a leader. I mean, it's just some, it's a place that I've always ended up. And I mean, I was in juvie at age 15 and, and every time I got locked up, I ended up being the head of the house. Right. And I was everywhere that I went, I ended up being in a place of, of leadership of some type or another, but I never felt like a leader. I always kind of felt like a fucking loser and And I think a a big part of that is because at some point early on in my life, I was taught to not trust my inner voice, right? So when it came time for me to uh, try drugs for the first time, I remember the conflict that I had inside of myself. I knew at some level that this probably isn't going to end well, but I'm going to do it anyway because my parents have told me not to. The counselor has told me not to. My inner voice has told me not to, and I don't trust any of those. My friend is telling me that I should. Everyone looks like they're having a good time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wanna have fun, I wanna be a part of. I'm not gonna listen to the three people that I don't trust, which is me, the adults in my life, (laughs) and my parents. I don't fucking trust those guys. So I'm gonna go over here and do this, and, and at first, there wasn't, it's not like I, I took my first hit and there was this massive catastrophe, right? The 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 danger and the, the disaster came slowly over time. Mm-hmm. And so it was very elusive, right? Like, uh, well, here it is again. Those guys are full of shit. I did drugs and my life didn't fall apart. <laughs> you know, I'm still, I'm not retarded. I didn't melt my brain. And imagine that, you know, it's not like they said it would be. Uh, and so like going back and, and just being able to instill inside of myself, my inner voice is is correct. That, that what the, the good that I'm telling myself inside of myself is true.
4: Mm.
0: Listen to your gut, you know? And if I, I don't know if it would have came from me, if I would have believed it more. Right. Like, like it's a weird thing to really kind of like think about in your mind, like look at how you look now. Imagine what you look like going through a fucking wormhole. And there you are as a little kid getting ready to smoke a cigarette or something. Right. And and convincing the little kid that you are them as an adult. Now, if I looked at me today when I was 10, I'd have been like, holy shit, that dude's fucking awesome. (laughs) Right. Because I'm not, I'm not at the fat me. I'm not at the drugged out me. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger was like a huge influence on me. Like I wanted to be like Arnie. Uh, so. And you are working well, I'm, I'm not (laughs) terrible. I'm, I'm I'm no Mr. Universe, but I can pick up heavy shit. All right. All right. Right. Fair
1: enough.
0: And, uh, and like I overcome these, uh, mental, uh, uh, these mental struggles and financial struggles and I, and I overcome all these things that are hard for me today. I would have I would have been like holy shit like I could be like that guy like like that's the future me mm. this is not something that I ever saw for myself you know I never saw me being anything other than what I was at 10 years old and I carried that through most of my life that 10 year old mentality of of uh, insecurity and un, being unsure and being afraid and being willing to try all kinds of crazy shit to make myself brave or make myself feel okay or fit in or any of those things, man. And I'm just, I I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't even remember how I got on that fucking tangent, (laughs) but whatever. There we are.
1: As per usual. Let (laughs) Let me ask you a question because I think that it, it, uh, it makes me think like, I love that we're able to look at who we are now. Um, and know that, We wouldn't be who we are now if we hadn't gone through what we did, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Which means that we don't have to regret what happened. But, Willie, in your case, what you're talking about here is I wonder if you would have gone back and told 10-year-old Willie, all right, this is is what you're going to look like when you're 42, right? And this is who you're going to be when you're 42. But you have to go through... This much time in drugs and alcohol oh. to get there, like would you still? You know, I probably I mean? got like started
0: harder sooner. Actually, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's a great point. Like, you know, if anything was different, it'd all be different. But yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Because where where would we be? Where would we be if anything was different? It's, and it's obviously we'll never know. But uh, it's an interesting conversation because. You know, you have a son now, I have three children. Aubrey's probably gonna end up being a wonderful mother at some point. And and you know, how do we how do we bring in this conversation without exposing them to that lifestyle from our own bottle versus them going into college and like what 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 knowledge did you have of methamphetamines the first time that you tried it?
3: I didn't have any I didn't never, know. You'd never heard of it. I I had heard of it, but I didn't have any idea how it was, how it was gonna make me feel, what it was gonna do. I did I you, didn't know. Like
1: when you say you heard of it, like what did you heard?
3: I had heard of it in dare back in school. Oh, okay. um, I'd heard of it in health class. You know, just the short presentation of. You know this is what this is what methamphetamine is but i didn't i don't think i grasped the concept of it's an actual real thing like it's, yeah. it, it actually does those things it actually is that thing like i don't think i had totally grasped the fact that i could i could obtain it in logan utah in my college dorm room mm-hmm. and i could use it and then it could overturn my life you know i don't think I I mean I know that I didn't know those things. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So do you do you think that your um like the reason that you didn't sort of grasp what what it was capable of was simply because it wasn't presented in the right way or do you feel like your mind wasn't even ready to think about anything on that level? Because I like I'm kind of taking myself back and it's like yeah it's like you know people will tell you about meth people will tell you that it's horrible people will tell you that um it you know like look at what it will do to people show you pictures and graphic Mm -hmm. images and everything and i think that it's always just so easy to go wow that sucks for them yeah Yeah. like yeah that could never happen yeah like that could never happen to me right Um, and so I wonder, like, do you think that that was some of your case where it was just like, ah, you know, like, or were you even like processing that, that that could have
3: happened? I think I thought of it the same way that I thought of alcohol and marijuana, um, and mushrooms that I'd used, you know, I'd used them once, twice, three times. And that was that I just kicked them and I was over it, you know? And I think that was my thinking behind meth is that. I could use it one, two, three times and call it good. You know, I'd tried it, say I tried it, and that would be that. Mm -hmm. I didn't think I would get hooked right after the first hit. You know, I think that was my thinking behind it. Well,
1: I mean, it's interesting. I can see that, though. Yeah. And you have a lot of that in your story, too, as well, like meth, right?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Meth and heroin, yeah.
1: Was that that your experience with meth as well?
0: Uh, Not exactly, no. Um, I, I had made a resolve. I... Resolved with my best friend at a young age. I think I, I Want to say I was 15 the first time I did math because I was a daily meth user by age 16, but uh, Prior to the first time I used it we had resolved to never use it. Right? We, were, we weren't gonna do crank. We weren't gonna do uh, powders and and when we did uh, I Remember, you know feeling like fuck we just broke a code. <laughs> I remember feeling like why why did we do this but again i didn't have the self confidence to maintain my own level of of integrity right and this was like even back then mm-hmm. even you know before i was even like robbing people's houses or cars or any of that kind of shit like i knew that there was there was a level i didn't want to cross i crossed it anyway And then I continued that into oblivion so that I didn't have to feel the feelings of shame and guilt that go along with us crossing the line against ourselves.
4: Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, And I think that it's it's interesting to me just to think about like the variance in our upbringings. Right. So it's like, Willie, you had this code and you made this pact because on some sort of level, you knew what powders and crank might do to a person. Right. Right. Whereas it sounds like you Aubrey didn't really have any knowledge of that or any exposure mm-hmm. and just kind of naively went into it right yeah like yeah. what when Willie talks about um, how his confidence was was just complete shit like in his early years like what did what did meth do for you
3: it would it made me confident in the moment but then When it made me sad it made me really sad and when it made me angry It made me really angry and it made me behave in ways that I wouldn't behave now or even prior to my addiction, you know, like Willie talks about the line that he wouldn't cross. I eventually got those in my addiction. I eventually said, you know, I won't go Purchase meth myself. I'll just get it from my drug dealer that he gives it to me you know, I won't go and shoplift from stores and then that's how I was eating every day as I would shoplift from stores. You know, I, I started to draw these boundaries that I wouldn't cross and that eventually I did cross. You know, I started to come to the point where I was like, I'm an addict. I know I'm an addict, but I'm not that bad of an addict because sure. I'm not going to cross this line. Sure. And then I didn't have, you know, the self-worth enough to not cross those lines. I didn't have enough in- integrity with myself to not cross those lines. I would draw those lines, but eventually I knew I was going to cross them as soon as I drew them eventually I knew I was going to cross them
1: and do you feel like there was something specific because you had tried drinking you had tried boo or uh uh, weed and always just been like "Eh," you know like whatever Mm -hmm. um but was there something specific that meth was doing for you that um that just made it something that you always had to have, or do you feel like it was strictly a chemical dependency?
3: Um, well it made me it made me feel happier. It made me feel lighter on my feet. It made me feel like I could do anything. Um, you know, it just gave me that mentality of I'm so great and I can do anything that I put my mind to. Which is
1: like a stark contrast from the way you had felt yes. about yourself. Yes, exactly. Just in a normal state yeah. of mind.
3: Yeah, and so the opposite of it was you know, I was ready to get up for work in the morning, which weeks ahead I had not, I didn't want to get up and go to work. Mm -hmm. I had been trying to get out of work. And now I wanted to get up and go to work and I wanted to be active at work. And then progressively I started to be able to stay up longer. I started to be able to complete more tasks. I started to be more creative. And then eventually it turned into a dependency yeah, on that, that creation kind of turns into a
0: fucking
4: tornado. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right.
3: yeah, and then it turned into I couldn't get up and go to work unless I used meth. Yeah. I couldn't get myself into the shower unless I used meth. I couldn't go and do my laundry unless I used meth. And so it started to become this dependency on the meth that anything I did, I would bribe myself with using meth. You know, I can take a hit. And then I'll make this important phone call and as soon as I finish the important phone call I can hit, take another hit and that's eventually what my life became that before I did any task I could have a hit of meth and then after I did any task I could have a hit of meth so it started out I don't think as a dependency but then it became one very very quickly right Yeah.
1: I mean it sounds like it was more of an obsession that then became an, a, a dependency and and I think the reason that I asked that is is that I feel like in my case as well, like mine was pain pills, right? Um, that, uh, that there was that one thing that just sort of got a hooks in me. And like once, once it was a problem, everything was a problem <laughs> Yeah. and I didn't care about anything else. Right. And I found myself in this place that I never thought I would be. Mm-hmm. And, um, and for me, like what the pain pills did is they they didn't do everything that you described, meth. Meth sounds like it gave you confidence, it gave you energy, and it made you feel bulletproof. Like what pain pills did for me is they made every bit of low self-worth that I had constantly um, kept telling myself, all that negative self-talk, just melt away, mm-hmm. right? So it was like all of a sudden I was just numb to it all. Um, and... And so for me, that's what the appeal was. That's why I kept going back. That's what the obsession was. And then like you said, same thing happened, right? Like where all of a sudden it's like, I don't know how to not have this now. Yeah. Um, and for me, like booze played a big role where it was like all of a sudden I'm drinking booze because I can't get the pills. And and so it goes, right? And so, so I feel like what I'm getting at is that it seems like all three of us have very similar things that we would go back and tell the younger you like dude you're worth it you are an awesome individual like
0: you're hanging out with some fucked up people. you're hanging
1: out with some fucked up people <laughs> yeah. and everything you think that is important right now doesn't fucking matter like what people think about you the only thing that matters is like what you think about yourself and, um, and whatever you got to do to feel good about you is what you need to do.
0: Yeah. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Um, you know, Aubrey, if, if you could imagine, um, now you have a 10 year old, a 12 year old, I don't know if you can, um, do you think you could imagine you had a child?
4: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: What, how, how would you approach conversation how would you, how do you think you would approach the conversation or, or at what age do you think you would start talking to your kids about uh the the existence of drugs in the world um the the risk of doing drugs you know when would you start that conversation and what what kind of things do you think you would talk to them about
3: um i think I don't think I would make it a secret, you know, that I'm a recovering meth addict. That's something that is a part of my identity now, I feel like. Um, it's something that I'm not scared to talk about. And so I think with my own child, that's something that I wouldn't, I would keep the details from them early on in life. But I wouldn't stray away from the fact that, you know, this is something I struggled with when I was younger. This is something that I still do struggle with. This is something that i always struggle with and so I think that's something that I don't think I would make it a secret um early on in my child's life that this is who I am and this is who I once was um but eventually I think they could get to the age where I would show them some of the things that you know how my life crumbled and how it made me feel and I would tell them My story of you know what happened I'm a first-hand example of what happens when you use drugs and so I don't think that's something that I would ever keep a secret I would want to make sure to explain to them that addiction is very real um, because prior to my addiction I didn't understand that I didn't understand that addiction was like a real thing it's not just something we talk about in school it's a real thing and I think I've learned something I've learned in my recovery is how many addicts and alcoholics there are in the world that we don't even realize, you know, there's, Mm -hmm. there's so many of us out there, even if they haven't, you know, wanted help yet, and they're still in their addiction, there's still so many people out there that are just like us that I didn't realize until I was on the other side of it. So I think making it known that addiction is very real but also recovery is very possible because in my addiction i thought i had gotten to a point and i dug myself into a hole so deep that i wasn't going to be able to be recovered i started to think in the mindset of well because i'm an addict now this is how I'm going to have to continue living my life. I started to make plans for if I'm going to be homeless for another five years, this is how I'm going to make it work for the next five years. If I'm going to have to keep shoplifting for the next five years, this is how I'm going to make it work. You know, I was planning ahead for (laughs) the rest of my life I'm going to be an addict. And so I think making it known to my child that addiction is very real, but recovery is very possible if that is something that you end up in. That I think that's... Very important that I would stress to yeah. my children. How
0: about you, Cameron? Well, I think that about Dino
1: Burrito. Yeah, I think th- I think that it's interesting because I feel the same way. I feel like I would, I feel like I would do all the same stuff, right? And I, I dare say that um, you're going to have a similar answer. Um, but, but what I think is more important is that I think that of course, because I'm who I am, and that uh, this is something that I personally struggled with. It is something that I'm going to be sure to discuss with my child. Hey, dad has this issue, as do many, many people in the world. Um, Addiction is very real and and try and educate them as much as possible about addiction. Um, The real thing for me is like, how do we get people who have never encountered that and never had any experience with that and and. Never had that in their immediate circle. Talk to their kids about the reality of addiction, and how do we get kids to hear that? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like my my kid will hear it because it's coming from dad.
3: Yeah,
1: you know what I mean. And your kid will hear it because it's coming from mom. Mm-hmm. And your kids hear it because it comes from both of you guys. Yeah. Um, but how do we How do we tell that to? people who have no exposure and have them see the reality that, that that is addiction.
0: Yeah. Well I think I think the best way to do that is just make ourselves available wherever possible and um always be willing to tell the story, you know, not be dependent on w- how it's received or, or when it's received because we have no control over that, right? Like yeah. God knows who told me what. Sure. Mm-hmm. True, I mean yeah. true. I mean I think back and I'm I'm sure that people were trying to fucking just just go to the left a little bit <laughs> Willie. just <Yeah>. just fuck, <laughs> come on just a little bit this way and i until i was beaten enough you know i don't know but uh i think what we're doing on the on the podcast is is a great way to do this you know say you know here we are this is our stories these are the resources that are available to you. You know, we have, we have plenty. If you go to our website or you have any questions, hit us up on our Instagram or, or any, of the, any of those things. Uh, you know, the information is there. And just if you have any questions, if this is something that if as a recovering person, if there's somebody in your life that you feel compelled to talk to about this, go talk to them. You know, listen to that inner voice like that might be a spiritual connection, you know, guiding you to to tell the message to the person that needs to hear it at the time. As long as we're sober and we're staying on this path, the people in our lives have uh, ha- have hope for their own lives with us being the messenger of this thing. Right. Like, if we get fucked up, we use nobody. No, we have no hope and neither do the people we're trying to help
1: very well said yeah Yeah. and I and I really like how you said that Aubrey that that the biggest message is is that addiction is very very real and recovery is very very possible Mm -hmm. um because a lot like you like I didn't have a ton of exposure and certainly once I found myself addicted I didn't have any
4: hope yeah right yeah
1: um so it was good to uh it's good to hear that yeah yeah I like
0: it and and uh, neither one of you really knew how to talk about it, right, like, like you didn't know, like you're all, you're drunk and strung out on pills, and you're spun out of your <laughs> mind, just running around. It's not like you. It's not like you thought. What? what maybe I should give my mom a call. And yeah. Right. 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 Or, or yeah. whatever you know. So if there are if there are people in your same situation, right now, right that are listening to the show, what is what is. What's something that you would would tell them? Like, what phone call should they make? What what approach if they're if they're thinking about getting clean? What 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 would you suggest today?
1: You want to lead on that?
3: Um, I think for myself, I definitely had that thought. You know, I was like, I'm a meth addict, and I don't want to call my mom because my mom has no idea what meth is. She's like, she's not going to understand what I'm talking about, and I really don't want to tell her everything I'm talking about and everything I've done and what I actually need help with. Um, So that was my thought right off the bat. But from my experience, my parents have been super helpful and super supportive in my recovery. And although I didn't want to call them, there were many times in my story that I didn't want to call them, that I ended up calling them. And they were very good to react in a way that I felt was healthy and helpful and so for me calling them although I didn't want to and I didn't think they understood what I'd be talking about um, they did to the best of their ability try to understand and try to help me as best as they could Um, and then afterwards you know we got help from people who were more experienced in recovery so although they weren't the complete solution you know they weren't the 100% solution they didn't help me all by themselves they were supportive and are still supportive in making sure I get the help that I need. Yeah. So that's what I would say. I don't know if that's make the answer. Anyway. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it sounds like that, that worked out a hell of a lot better than you thought it was going.
3: Yeah. To yeah. They responded way better than I expected them to. I had created this image in my mind that they were going to be like, well, you're on your own, not right. going to help you. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it turned out way better than I expected it to. Yeah.
1: And of course it did.
3: Yeah. Of course it did.
1: Yeah. Um, and and I,
0: you had kind of a similar experience with your brother, right? Like,
1: yeah. I mean, what uh, what I think I would tell people like is is to let people help you. Like,
4: mm-hmm.
1: m- most of all, there I I dare say that people in my position, there are people that are trying to help you, right? Um, and and I really just had to let those people help me. Yeah. And Another thing that I think I would, I would say is this is not your fault because Mm -hmm. I think that I had so much guilt and shame that I was engaging in this sort of behavior that I was committing the acts that I was, um, and that I was doing the things I was doing that I didn't, I didn't want to tell people, like you said, right? Like Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't want to. You know, talk to my parents about it or or give anybody the full scope of what was really going on um, for that reason. But I had somebody who was trying to help me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had somebody that kind of knew um, what was really going on and they were trying to help me. And I was just so resistant to that, just thinking like, I, I got this I like I haven't given it an honest try like if I try <laughs> hard enough yeah. I can do this right just my yeah. will is weak right yeah, now yeah, it's just <laughs> yeah. It's, and that it's a matter of willpower and I think that um, you know what I would say is like let people help you it's not your fault that you're in this situation and the only way it's going to change is on the other side of that fear yeah
0: yeah um, and uh, and yeah i remember in treatment and i, and I hope i always remember margine told me one time she said you know there's more people out there willing to help you than you can believe mm-hmm. and uh she was right yeah. yep. you know there was uh, a lot more people wanted me to live than people wanted me to die yeah. right and and that's what's that's what's so cool about this whole thing and being able to connect with people and reconnect with our families and you know, for for the three of us on this side of the table, we're very fortunate that our families, our parents, our loved ones lived long enough to see us get sober, right? And, yeah. and what a great gift to be able to give them. And even though I can't go back and tell my younger self anything that would change my my uh, past, you know, I can go through my life and I can tell my current self all those things that I would have told my younger self. You yeah. know, I can tell myself now that... You know, you are worth this way of life. You, your confidence is fine. You are uh, capable and available and and you're respected and loved and and all those things that I wish I knew back then. At least I know
1: now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but I I mean, we had to go through so much shit to (laughs) to learn it. (laughs) Yeah. That's the important part. Thankfully we made it. Yeah. I mean, thankfully we made it. And, and, and that's what I appreciate about your story. My story, your story all of our stories is like we we had to go through so much shit to be who we are now and there's this idea of like we're talking about going back in time and like telling the younger you something but it's like what if i did that and things were different yeah and and then and then what would it look like today
3: i wouldn't want to change it i wouldn't want to go back and tell myself to change it you know exactly what we've been saying I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't go through what I did.
1: Well, and isn't, I mean, and I I think that it's so, I I love that. I -hmm. think that that is so amazing because people are about to hear your story and they're going to hear like what you went through and to think that you wouldn't change that. Yeah. To some people, especially to people who were as naive as maybe Mm -hmm. you were or naive as even me, like are going to think, wow. It's insane that she wouldn't, (laughs) she wouldn't change that if she could, you know, and it's like, well, because growth is on the other side of that. And so I hope that if there's somebody listening that is struggling, like I was struggling or you were struggling or even Willie was struggling, like, listen to that. Like what that means is the shit that you have to go through is worth it Mm -hmm. to recover. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
0: And so that's, I think that's a great introduction. I think. Uh, Right now would be probably the perfect time for you to tell your story. What do you think? Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Well, what do you say? Without further ado, here is Aubrey's War Story. This week's War Story is brought to you by Brainwashed Coffee. Brainwashed Coffee is a damn good coffee with a damn good cause. 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community which makes it a perfect partner for us here at the Other Side of Hell podcast. With delicious blends like Coffee Commitment Found a New Freedom, we drink a hell of a lot of it here, and it gives us the energy we need to deliver a quality show. Right now, you can get $5 off your coffee purchase at brainwashedcoffeeco.com using promo code OTHER SIDE. Clean your bean, Brainwashed coffee. Now, without further ado, here is this week's war story.
2: So, my name's Aubrey, I'm a recovering meth addict, and my story is I grew up in Syracuse, so I'm not too far from where I am now. Um, I still, I moved back in with my parents, so I live back at home. Um, I'm the oldest, so I have a younger brother and a younger sister, and I grew up in a great family. I would consider my childhood, like, almost perfect. I, um, Swam on the swim team uh, almost competitively for almost 10 years. And I swam at a collegiate level and then at a national level. Um, and that took up a lot of my time. And that's where I met a lot of my friends and I spent just a lot of my free time. And that was something that I just loved doing. I enjoyed doing it. Uh, I also got into videography as well and started doing that and loved doing that. Um, and then, as I got further, I got into college and I started going to school, and I was doing well. I had a great roommate I had great friends and as I started to get further along into my degree, I found myself not knowing you know what I wanted to do. I guess let me back up. so when I look at my childhood and I look at how I grew up and where I grew up and the people that I had in my life. I would look at my life, someone would look at my life and say, you know, this, she lived pretty perfect. She had a pretty perfect childhood. She had a pretty perfect life. And I don't say that to brag. And I don't say that to, you know, say my life was awesome. I say that because I lived a life that you wouldn't think, you know, I would turn to addiction. I guess you would say, um, somebody would look at my life and be like, she has everything that, you know, like anyone could ever want. And I took a lot of pride in that. And I think that's part of the reason that I got addicted in the first place is I was very naive. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I grew up in the church. I grew up as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so Drugs and alcohol and coffee were not something that were a part of my life growing up at all in the slightest. Like that's not something that the church believes in or practices, And so I just that's nothing I ever was involved in at all. None of my friends were involved with it. And so as I started going to college and I started to go through school um, and to pursue my degree, I started to get to a point where. I didn't know what i wanted to do in life i got i was in a relationship with a guy that started to get toxic it was pretty toxic from the very beginning um he turned out to be pretty manipulative and abusive not necessarily physically but super abusive mentally and emotionally and just very controlling and opinionated and because of that that started to stray me from my family and it started to pull me away from my family which I've always been really close to. And so I started to feel, you know, poor emotions from that. I started to feel down on myself about that. I knew my family didn't like who I was hanging out with or who I was spending my time with. I knew they didn't like him. Um, and then on top of that, I started to gain weight after high school. I stopped Loving to swim, and so I started to gain weight, and I started my self-esteem started to lower as my weight started to get higher. and uh, that was pretty defeating, I feel like. And through my degree, I started I got my associates, and then I didn't know what else I wanted to do. I didn't know what I wanted to pursue. I didn't know what I wanted to go for. And so I started to feel guilty and shameful about that that I was like, I know I'm supposed to go to school, but I don't know what I want to go for. And now I'm this college dropout and I just feel really like upset about that. You know, like I, I know I'm supposed to continue going, but I don't know what I want to go for. So that started to weigh on me a little bit. And I just started to feel super lost. I didn't know who I wanted to be. I didn't know what I wanted to be. I didn't know where I wanted to go. I didn't know if I believed in the church my little brother at the time was preparing to go on an LDS mission and I didn't know if I believed what he was doing. I didn't know if that was true. And so I felt out of place with my family and it just got to this point in my life where I just felt all alone. Like there was not, there wasn't anything in my life that brought me joy and I was super anxious and I just didn't feel good. And so in this point of my life, I started to experiment with alcohol. I started out with alcohol and I was like, I, I've never done it. I've never grown up with it, but I've seen it in movies and on TV and I know other people do it. So since I don't know what I'm doing with my life, why not start here? I mean, what if what if I enjoy this and this is what I want to do? So I started drinking alcohol and... um didn't, you know, it made me feel good for a minute, but it didn't fix it, you know, and then the next day I would feel so shameful for drinking that it made me feel worse on top of everything else. And so that didn't work. And then there was a time that I got offered weed. And so I tried weed. I said, you know, I, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I don't like who I am. I don't know where I'm supposed to be or what I'm supposed to be doing, so why not try weed? So I tried weed and um you know, same thing. Fixed it for a minute and then it went right back to I feel shameful for doing this. I feel guilty for doing this and if my parents had any idea, they would be so upset and I was so focused on everybody else's opinions that I was just you know, not even focusing on the weed making me feel good or the alcohol making me feel good I was like I'm such a terrible person for doing these things that it wasn't even bringing me joy and so you know I got off I didn't do weed anymore I stopped doing weed and then I got offered mushrooms and I tried mushrooms and I did mushrooms for a while and I was like this doesn't do it for me either you know like this doesn't bring me any joy and it just makes me feel dumb And then I turned 21 and the day after I turned 21, I was moving apartments and I was with my, who I thought was a friend at the time, who he later turned out to be my dealer. Um, He offered me some meth and he said, you know, I, this is, this will help you finish moving your apartment. I was getting to the point where I was so tired and it was late at night and he was like, this is just the thing, like, this will help you. And so I, I remember I was in my college dorm room and I took my first hit of meth the day after I turned 21 and that was it for me that like that first hit. And that was all I could think about. I felt in a roundabout sort of way. It was like a breath of fresh air that I was like, I feel great. This makes me feel good. This makes me feel like I can do anything I never thought I could do. It makes, it gives me energy. It makes me happy. And I, it didn't even cross my mind, the consequences that would come from that. And so further on into my story, it, began to be something that I obsessed over the next day. It's all I could think about the day following. It was all I could think about. I would always pursue him and find him and use, you know, ask him to let me use meth with him. And then he got to the point where I purchased my own pipe. I had my own stash. I, you know, I, it just got worse and I used it as a bribery for myself I used it as you know a reward for myself after I I would use it as like before I made a hard phone call I could use and then as soon as I finished the hard phone call I could use as a reward I could use prior to getting into the shower and then after I finished my shower I could use it after I got out of the shower I could use it when I got up in the morning and after I got dressed and ate my breakfast I could use it afterwards as a reward so it was this constant cycle of I can use it prior to something and then I can use it afterwards as well. So then it just got worse and worse and worse. And I just began to use more. And um, it got so bad that I was driving from Logan to Salt Lake four, five, six times a week just to go get more. I was driving so often and it didn't bother me. I thought it was fun. I thought it was exciting. It was I was very intrigued with how everything worked and, you know, the whole wait for the dealer to come outside, the whole, just everything was high paced. And I just loved that about it. I loved the adrenaline rush that I got from it. And eventually I was still living in Logan. I dropped out of school. I wasn't going to school anymore and I was still working. I worked construction at the time and it got to the point where all I could think about was using and so rather than going into work I decided I didn't want to go into work um and so I made it I started to lie I lied ever since I was young I always lied I lied often I lied about a lot of things growing up and um I consider myself a very bad or maybe good people pleaser um I like to please people, so I would lie about the dumbest things. I would lie about stupid stuff. and um, but while I was working construction, I didn't want to go to work anymore. All I wanted to do was use all day, so I started making up stories. and eventually it got to the point that I spun a story so big that I made up the story that my sister had passed away from cancer, following my mom passing away from cancer two months later, and my dad running off too. Colorado with his girlfriend that was half his age and I told this around the job site and I just wanted time off I just didn't want to go to work and I thought to myself this is the story like this this is great this people are going to believe it no one's going to question me about these things like everyone's going to believe it and I didn't think anything of the consequences. I didn't think into the future at all. All I could think about is wanting to use then the next time I could use. And so my story caught up with me and I lost my job. And at that point, I really didn't care that I lost my job. And my parents found out at that point that I was using, I'd been using for about five months at that time. And so They found out and they tried to tell me, they tried to get me to stop. You know, they came up to Logan and they had a whole conversation with me about how I should stop. And I didn't care. It didn't matter to me. Um, And then shortly after I lost my job, my dealer moved to from Logan to Salt Lake. And so I followed him there. And even... Leaving all of my stuff here or all of my stuff in Logan, I followed him there and I lived there in a meth house in South Salt Lake. And all I did was use. I didn't have a job for probably two and a half months and I didn't care. It didn't bother me. I ran through my savings and I got to the point where I didn't have anything. I didn't have all of my stuff. All of my stuff was in Logan. I didn't have the gas to get to Logan. But it didn't matter to me. All I cared about was using. And I look back at that and I don't think I had even told myself yet or come to terms with the fact that I was an addict. I was playing it as life's fine. I got it under control. It's okay. Like, I will figure it out. I wasn't applying for jobs. I wasn't. But somehow I was going to figure it out and it was going to work out. So I just look back at that as I was naive to think that I was okay and what I was doing was okay and that I wasn't addicted. And I think it's because I didn't have any prior knowledge of what addiction was. I didn't understand it because there's no one in my family that has dealt with addiction and so I didn't know you know what I was getting myself into. Um but anyway, I fast forward to my addiction, further into my addiction. And it got to the point of me living in the meth house for free for so long that finally I got kicked out and I was homeless. And so I lived out of my truck, um, for a total of eight months and I lived, I eventually got the money to then go back to Logan and clear all my stuff out of my apartment on the last day possible. And I brought it all down and I put it in a storage unit and I lived out of a storage unit and I lived out of a truck, out of my truck. And, you know, I thought that that's how life was and that was going to be okay. I thought that who cares that I live out of my truck? I can make this work as long as I can use my meth. I can make this work. It doesn't matter to me as long as I can get my dope and I'm here in Salt Lake close to my dealer. That's that's what's important to me. And so it just eventually spiraled into, I was home, I was homeless and I didn't have any money. I had a job, but I was spending, I finally did get a job, but I was spending my money only on dope and only on my storage unit. I eventually bought a gym pass to only shower at the planet fitness. And other than that, I didn't have money for food. I snuck into hotels every morning and ate breakfast at the hotel. And I shoplifted shoplifting became another one of my addictions that that's what I spent my time doing. And I just lived a life that I thought this, this is okay. This is what this is fine. This is an okay life. And this is how my life is going to be. And, you know, eventually it got so bad that my emotions would run wild when i was using when i was happy i was really happy and when i was sad i was really sad and when i was mad i was really mad and i started to behave in ways that i never would have behaved before and looking back it's it's kind of frightening the ways that i behaved you know while i was at the meth house there was a time that i got so angry that i punched out the window of the home and I had to go to the hospital and get stitches for it. And there was another time in my addiction that I punched my hand straight through a car window. And I just acted, I just went on with the rest of my day as if that was normal. I just went on and that was that I, I behave that way because I'm an addict. I act that way because I'm an addict. You know, this is, this is happening to me because I'm an addict and that's, the life I'm going to live, you know, and further into my addiction, as it started to get darker and more lonely, I began to realize, you know, what I had gotten myself into. And I started to come to terms with the fact that I was an addict and I couldn't function without using more than 10 minutes at a time. I, that's what my world revolved around. I didn't care about, my family i didn't care about friends and there was a morning that i was up in the middle of the night and i was actually on the run from the cops and um i really really wanted a drink from Maverick and so i went to the closest Maverick and all i had was pocket change and i took my foam cup in there that I had been refilling for, I don't know how long and I refilled it with some soda and I took it up to the counter and I started counting out the change and I started with the bigger, the nickels and the quarters and the dimes. And then eventually I got to mostly pennies and the girl at the counter was like, it's, it's okay. I'll cover it. Like, don't worry about it. And I was so grateful. And I was like, Thank you so much. Like this, you don't know what I'm dealing with. Like, thank you so much. And I went back and got in the truck and I left the Maverick and I pulled around the corner and I took a sip of my soda and it was just carbonation. It wasn't any syrup, it was just carbonation. And I started to sob and sob and sob. And it was at that point in my addiction that I was like, I am so upset over the fact that I can't afford an 88 cent soda and this is pathetic like this is a joke that I I used to be the most responsible independent human and now I can't even afford a soda and so shortly after that I ran out of my stash and I didn't have any more money I out of dope and I didn't have any more pocket change and I didn't have anything else to sell. And I decided I don't I don't want to do this anymore. Like I'm I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired and I don't I don't want to do it anymore. And so I got involved with a physical altercation with my dealer at the time and the cops showed up and I had to decide what I was going to do. I didn't want to Spend my whole day not, not using, and also just sitting around doing nothing. So I picked up the thousand-pound phone that we talk about in recovery, and I called my mom. And I remember sitting on the curb and crying, and she answered the phone, and she said, "You know, hey, what's up?" I hadn't called her, and I don't know how long. And I was quiet for a while and I said, I just, I want to come home. I, I want to come home. And she said, okay, well come home then. And I said, I don't, I have no gas in my tank. I have no money. I can't come home. I can't get there. I'm about two hours away and I can't get home. And so she said, okay, well, let me call your dad and figure out where he is and then we'll come and get you. Like I'll, we'll come and pick you up. So she called my dad and she found out that my dad was actually working five minutes from where I was. And so he showed up and he gave me a big hug as soon as he saw me and he gave me his lunch. And it was the first meal that I'd had in days. And then my mom showed up shortly after and they You know, told me that it was going to be okay, and that because of the support that I have in my life, I was going to be okay, and that I was going to be able to get through this. And I believed them at the time. And for the first time in months, I felt hope and I felt safe for a second. And so they took me home, and I started to withdraw on their couch. And I spent the day probably, well, I spent four days on their couch asleep. And I don't remember it. I don't remember any of that time period. But I guess I spent those four days asleep. They only woke me up to eat. And then I went straight back to sleep. I didn't shower. I was disgusting. And on the fifth day, my drug dealer got out of jail. And he called me and he said, I need you to take me to Montana to see my kids. And looking back now, I realize it wasn't a smart decision, but having been through what we'd been through, I decided, okay, I'll take you to Montana. Like, okay, you helped me through my crap. I'll help you through yours. So I'll take you to Montana. So I got up and I left my family without telling them where I was going. And I got up and left and put them through hell again and you know I just left I just disappeared and we got to Montana and I found myself in Montana again with no money and no way to get home and that was that and so I again began to feel lonely at this point I hadn't been using and so I started to feel all of the emotions that I was feeling and I was scared and I was alone and I was in a place that I was not familiar with. And I got stuck in Montana for a total of three and a half weeks. And, um, there was a time that I was through that time on day 35, well, 30, I reached out to my family and told them, Hey, you know, I've gone 30 days sober. And my mom was like, cool. Like, don't you get a 30 day chip or something like that? Like on 30 days, and I was like, I, yeah, I mean, I sure, and I started to lie about it that I was like, yeah, I've been to AA meetings, like definitely, and so I got on Amazon to try and find a chip, and I came across a chip that it has a dragonfly on it, and it says one day at a time, and it has the Serenity Prayer on the back, and I decided that I was going to make dragonflies my symbol um, because they are symbols of survivors. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. Like I'll make dragonflies my symbol. That's awesome. And in Montana, I stayed at a KOA. And so I found that chip that night and I went to sleep at the KOA and I woke up and I came out of my tent the next morning and there was a dragonfly sitting right on the picnic table of my campsite that I'd been staying at for three and a half weeks. And I I'm not a person to believe in coincidences and I decided you know this is like that there's a sign like there's a reason for that like this is what I'm supposed to be doing but I'm not supposed to be doing it alone and so I got involved in another physical altercation with my dealer and I talked to the cops and the cop's Told me, you know, you should probably call your parents and they did some more research and they found that I'd been listed as a missing person in Utah for almost a week. And so my parents had no idea where I was or what I was up to. So I ended up calling them again, picked up the thousand-pound phone, called them and said, Hey, I I want to come home. And told them where I was, and they drove 10 and a half hours through the night to come and get me. And they picked me up and they took me home. And since then, I have, life didn't get better once I stopped using meth. I I didn't stop using meth, and then the next day woke up to sunshines and rainbows and the birds chirping. I stopped using meth, and I woke up the next day to everything still on fire. And I think that's important to note because like myself, I had no idea what I was getting myself into when I started using. I had no idea how to get myself out. And then I had no idea that once I stopped using, my life wasn't just going to get better. I had a whole mess that I had to clean up. And I've had I've had upsets along the way that Have been really frustrating and have pushed me to want to use. On day 43, I totaled my truck that I'd lived in for eight and a half months, and that was devastating. And all I wanted to do was use. That's all I wanted to do. That's all I could think about. But I had made a goal with myself that that wasn't what I was going to do. And since then, I've joined a group that's local here in Ogden, and it's called Recovering Addict. And it's something that I go to. I attend every week. I attend Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And what we do is we work out for an hour and then we have group for an hour. And in that group, we work out what we call is our biopsychosocial. So we work out our bodies and then we work out our minds. And then also we work on social as well. So those relationships that I've burned, I've learned how to repair those and make new ones and it's something that I don't take for granted any day. Any day, like I, I'm so grateful for the opportunity that I have to be a part of something. And I've I've learned in my recovery that I've had to replace using with good habits. So I focus on my recovery as much as I did on using, and I focus on going to recovery groups every day, if not two every day. I read recovery books. I do my step work religiously. Like I, it's something that I've had to replace the bad parts of my addiction with the good parts of my addiction. And I'm so grateful for that opportunity because I've met so many people and I've come to be part of a part of something so great. And in the coming months, I I will actually be the first official graduate from recovering addicts program. And I'm super excited for that, and I, one thing that I've learned, one of the most important things I've learned from my addiction is I'm grateful for it, because, because of it, I've had the opportunity to open my mind, and to see people in a different way, and to have patience and empathy for people that I didn't have before, because of how I grew up, and so I'm, I'm thankful for my addiction and I'm thankful for my recovery and
4: yeah,
0: that's what I got. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm grateful for your story and you sharing it with us. That was great.
1: Yeah, that was awesome. I Thank love you that. so much.
0: Yeah, of course. I Thank love you. getting I love getting stories. I love getting to talk pre pre show via zoom and then you being on the show. This is awesome. So
1: Yeah. What'd you think Cameron? Oh, it was crazy. You know, your story is crazy, right?
4: Yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah. I know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that it is. It's, it's so fascinating sometimes just to see where, where we come from and where we end up, like where this addiction uh, or where this journey that is addiction like takes us, you know, like how, how far can we go? Like from, you know, being, uh, in swimming in high school to like living in a storage shed, you know. It's like wow, like what what an escalation.
3: Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely.
1: And people like people that don't know, you talked about driving from Logan to Salt Lake, like people that don't know the area, like that's an hour and a half drive, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a so, long drive. And
1: and I really related with that part because you were talking about like, hey, I'm on my way to get dr- Like that was a, f- a part Drive, of it. Driving yeah. over Sardine
4: yeah. Canyon yeah. in the wintertime. Yeah. 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 Just, yeah.
1: And, and, and I think that it really does become like our new hobby. Like for me, it was like, all right, like sort of the making the decision that the I was, that I was going to get yeah. it. Yeah. Like from the point where I made the decision that I was going to get it from the time that it was in my hand was like the happiest I could be, right? Like. Yeah. I'm getting it like, "Oh yeah, here we go. I'm getting it." And then it was always a letdown because as soon as I had it, it was like, "Okay, how do I get more?" Yeah. You know? Yeah. But but I totally related with that because there is something that um that we get from the ritual of it all.
3: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. And what about you, Willie? Well, I
0: I mean, I've shared it several times like at the end, you know, the there the serenity was gone and the only point the only the only time I had any bit of relief was the time that it went from their hands to mine yeah and as soon as it hit my hand there was a fucking moment of peace and hope that it was going to work this time and before it even got in the pipe i was already fucking worried about it being gone
4: yep mm-hmm. and and
0: th- that's no way to live you no. know that's where that's where it takes us and i i i want to share with some people you know uh aubrey's a lucky one you know there's 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 a lot of people out there that may have the same story that started out that haven't made it back. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you you know, we if if we're here going through the shit that we have, we're the lucky ones, man. And and if you think that uh, you can try it out and get back because that's what Aubrey did, um, the chances are that you won't make it back. You right. know, the fact that we're here, we are the lucky ones because Part of the disease that we have is fucking jails, institutions, and death and, and ultimately that's a big part of how it ends for people like us. Yeah. Right. So so, um, like your story your story was great. And when you were talking about, you know, going to the dealer and, and fucking waiting outside and living in a meth mm-hmm. house and you know that it brought it all back for me.
4: Yeah.
0: You know, some of the most crazy times of my life. And um it was funny because I was I was at I was at uh, sam's club this morning and i was listening to your story um, getting ready for the show and i went to go buy some energy drinks and it re- i for whatever re- reason i remembered the first time i was ever in a sam's club i was in there to buy cases of matches to get mm. uh, to get phosphorus wow. strips to cook meth you know like like that was my first experience in a sam's club like you know and and that's that's just where we come from and and to be on this side after all that i agree with you uh i wouldn't change anything because i love who i've become i just wish it wouldn't have been so painful i guess sometimes you know i I love myself enough today that i wouldn't want me to go through that again yeah you know and and i definitely don't want you to have to go through that again so i'm grateful that you're here thank you it's a fucking pretty powerful story and i and i love your parents man
3: yeah Yeah. they're great people yeah
0: they sound like it they sound like they sound like legit loving parents Mm -hmm. man
3: yeah
1: yeah one thing i know from my own experience is that i had uh my parents were also kind of naive to it didn't really have anybody in their life that had ever had any sort of issues it wasn't anything that was a family disease or anything like that um but, you know, they really like dove in and educated themselves. And it sounds like your parents were were on the same boat, you know, like, yeah. OK, like, how do we how do we do this?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something that I think they've taken very seriously is educating themselves on how to get me the best help that I need. So
1: That's awesome.
4: Yeah.
1: One thing I wanted to ask you, just because I know that this is kind of a common thing. And I, one thing that you said in your story that I identified with as well is like, you uh you removed the the athleticism from your world mm-hmm. and all athleticism of a sudden, is that a word I don't
0: every time i, I, I say, say words like you just like i would say sports
4: <laughs> <laughs> is athleticism Cameron. a word
1: you and your five cent words <laughs> you removed the sports from your world yeah cuz <laughs> that word that word works best for willie apparently um, and and uh, and then you said that you had this low self worth. You removed the sports. You started gaining a little bit of weight. Was that some of the appeal to the meth for you?
3: I didn't know that was a side effect of meth. No.
1: Okay. Oh, no. yeah. I should know. I should know because you said you didn't know anything about
3: yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that that was eventually going to happen to me. I didn't know that I was going to get as skinny as I did. Um, so yeah, that wasn't actually an appeal of mine. It was eventually once I got into it that I was like, oh, look at what this is doing for me. Um, but in the beginning, no.
1: So it was almost like another like, hey, I like this part about it too. Uh-huh. Yeah,
3: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Interesting, and I think I, I bring that up because I've heard that before that uh, that, uh, that some people will turn to it you know for for that reason and uh, and I just want to point out how fucking crazy that is. Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, the whole fucking ride is crazy.
1: Yeah, I mean, it really the is. The whole ride is crazy. Yeah, it sure is. Um, but yeah, your story was amazing. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. I'm really proud of you. I'm really thank you. I'm really happy for you to, that you're over here. Thank you. On the yeah. Side of the table. See, your journey has been really, really awesome. Thank and, you. And um, love, love what you're doing now. Can you tell us a little bit about what what? what your recovery looks like today?
3: Yeah, so right now I'm a part of a program. It's called Recovering Addict. Like you mentioned, LT and Felice, they're the ones that you met me through. I'm a, I'm a member of their group, and what we do is we go to the gym for an hour. We train as a group at the gym, and then we have group for an hour. Um, we go every night, Monday through Friday. And then as a team, we also have a group activity uh, once a month. So like this month, we're doing service at Willard Bay, Um, last month we did laser tag the month before we did a painting activity you know it's just something to get us all together the focus of recovering addict is to work on our biopsychosocial so it works our bodies in the gym it works our minds in our step work that we do we work from a workbook Um, and then our social is our families are invited to the monthly activities as well so it kind of mends those relationships with our families or our close friends and then also, the relationships with the people in group as well, so they—that's where I spend majority of my time—is with them, and I train with them, and I'm projected to be the first official graduate from their group. What? So, what? Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna have to now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <you put laughs> now I gotta there. do it.
1: <laughs> God willing, right? Um, let me ask you—they uh, is uh, recovery recovering addict. .org Mm -hmm. website, right? Yes. And it is a a free program.
3: It is. It's a nonprofit. So yeah, it doesn't cost me anything to be a part of it. And that's something that is super awesome that I think they do that. It's just, they give their time. It's their service that, you know, anyone's welcome to join and it doesn't cost them anything.
1: Yeah. For anybody listening, the idea for recovering addict is, and, and we're just plugging this because we love these guys and we support these guys the idea for recovering addict is to bridge the gap from, okay, now you're done with treatment. Now what? Right. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. bridge the, bridge the gap from treatment to life. Um, and, uh, and like, like Aubrey mentioned here, it is free. If you're somebody in that situation, you can contact them, go to recovery, uh, recovering Yeah,
0: Get on their discourse, follow them on their YouTube channel. Yeah. I know right now they're doing a, 75 hard yeah are you on that uh-huh are yeah you? yeah how's that going
3: it's good it's hard but it's good <laughs> yeah I bet. it's helping me level up my recovery so it's been awesome That's great. but i think it's important to point out too in their group that it's not we're not a group of just addicts you know we have some members in our group that are there simply for mental health or people that are there to support the addicts in their life um it's not just for people who have done drugs which i like about that group as well you know i've been to alcoholics anonymous and it's just alcoholics you know that's that's all it is whereas our group is all inclusive and anyone anyone can come if they have addicts or, or if they have addictions or not you know and so i think that's something that they we pride ourselves yeah. on yeah so, we love it
1: that's yeah. super awesome yep well there you go
0: there you have it that's a that's show a, that's that's what you call a podcast thanks for coming out
3: thanks for having me your first yeah. one right that's my first one
1: you guys, let's just give it up for Aubrey, her first
3: podcast. Thank you. You saw Thank her here you.
0: first. That's right. And she becomes big and famous. so
1: <laughs> She got that lovely podcast for you.
0: Yeah. Thank
3: you. Thank you so much.
0: So I'm going to get out of here. It's nap time. What Set do you say? Nice. We wrap it. Let's do it. Love you guys. We'll see you on the other side.
1: Aubrey, did you want to say goodbye? Peace out. <laughs> 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 Remember, guys, you are worth the work.
0: The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread
4: our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.